Hello and welcome everyone. My name is Nancy Porter and it's my pleasure to present to you at this time articles from uh, Time magazine. I need to remind you that you're listening to a recording provided for the use of the blind and print impaired and materials or items read on Airs LA are the copyright property of the original authors and publishers and no unauthorized use or duplication is permitted. We'll be reading this time from the June 12th, 2023 issue of Time magazine. The first article is from the technology section titled The AI Detente by Ian Bremmer, a Time editor-at-large and president of Eurasia Group. The world must figure out a way to deal with the threat from artificial intelligence. The now surging development of artificial intelligence will produce medical breakthroughs that save and enhance billions of lives. It will become the most powerful engine for prosperity in history. It will give untold numbers of people, including generations not even born yet, powerful tools their ancestors never imagined. But the risks and challenges AI will pose are becoming clear also. And now is the time to understand and address them. Here are the biggest. The health of democracy and free markets depends on access to accurate and verifiable information. In recent years, social media has made it tougher to tell fact from fiction. But advances in artificial intelligence will unleash lesions of bots that seem far more human than those we have encountered to date. In China, and later in its client states, artificial intelligence will take facial recognition and other tools that can be used for state surveillance to exponentially higher levels of sophistication. This problem extends beyond our institutions because the production of generative AI, artificial intelligence that generates sophisticated content in response to prompts from users, is not limited to big tech companies. Anyone with a laptop and basic programming skills already has access to AI models far more powerful than those that existed even a few months ago and can produce unprecedented volumes of content. This proliferation challenge is about to grow exponentially as millions of people will have their own GPT running on real-time data available on the Internet. Artificial intelligence can also exacerbate inequality within societies, between small groups with wealth, access, or special skills, and those without, as well as between wealthier and poorer nations. AI will create upheaval in the workforce. Yes, technological leaps of the past have mainly created more jobs than they've killed, and they've increased general productivity and prosperity. But there are crucial caveats. Finally, the AI revolution will also impose an emotional and spiritual cost. Human beings are social animals. We thrive on interaction with others, and we wither in isolation. Bots will too often replace humans as companions for many people. And by the time scientists and doctors understand the long-term impact of this trend, 
our deepening reliance on artificial intelligence, even for companionship, may be irreversible. This may be the most important AI challenge. Challenges like these will demand a global response. Today, artificial intelligence is regulated not by government officials, but by technology companies. The reason is simple. You can't make rules for a game you don't understand. But relying on tech firms to regulate their products is not a sustainable plan. They exist mainly to make a profit, not to protect consumers, nations, or the planet, especially with a technology they admit they don't fully comprehend. So, where are the solutions? We'll need national action, global cooperation, and some common-sense collaboration from the United States and Chinese governments. But all will have to make rules in coming years that limit the ability of AI bots to undermine institutions, markets, and security. That means identifying and tracking bad actors, as well as helping individuals separate real from fake information. Unfortunately, these are big, expensive, and complicated steps that policymakers are not likely to take until they're faced with AI-generated but real crises. Unlike on climate change, the world's governments haven't yet agreed that the AI revolution poses an existential cross-border challenge. Here, the United Nations has a role to play as the only institution with the convening power to develop a global consensus. By forging agreement on which folks are most likely, most impactful, and emerging most quickly, an AI-focused equivalent to the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change can regularize the production of State of AI agreements that drill ever closer to the heart of AI-related threats. There could also be an agency modeled on the International Atomic Energy Agency to help police AI proliferation. That said, there's no way to address the fact-metastasizing risks created by the AI revolution without an infusion of common sense into relations between the United States and China. After all, it's the tech competition between the two countries and their lead tech companies that creates the greatest risk of war, particularly as AI plays an ever-growing role in military weapons and planning. Beijing and Washington must develop and sustain highest-level conversations about emerging threats to both countries and the world and how best to contain them. All right, the next articles will all be from a section called Next Generation Leaders, which will present information about trendsetters and trailblazers who are guiding the way to a brighter future. All right, so our article number two is from the United Kingdom, and it's Florence Pugh, Saving the Movie Star from Extinction, by Eliana Docterman. When Florence Pugh was a child, she hated to cry in public. 
If she had an argument with her parents, she would run to the bathroom, lock the door, and sit under the sink. Only then would she weep. When I started acting, I remember thinking, oh, this isn't good news, because all, we all know how amazing it feels when you see the character you've been following finally crumble, she says. And I just couldn't do it. Now she cries so often in movies that it's become something of a meme. Her guttural wails in Midsommar, her blubbering in Little Women, and her screams in Don't Worry, Darling have all gone viral. Because a childhood illness affected her breathing, Pug still has a gravelly voice that leads itself to anguish. She used to imagine her family in coffins to achieve the ultimate ugly cry. I never wanted it to be prissy. For me, it's snot or nothing. But she's no trick pony. Equally adept at comedy and action, she has appeared in superhero flicks and indies. She's a magnetic and multifaceted on-screen presence, the kind that doesn't come around very often. Pugh is in the midst of what might be the biggest year of her career so far. On the heels of A Good Person, a drama written and directed by her ex-partner Zach Braff, which she also produced, she'll star in two highly anticipated movies, Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer and Dennis Villanueva's Dune Part Two. Both are the sorts of epics that Hollywood rarely makes anymore, especially in an era when franchises, not movie stars, sell tickets. Studios and directors are fretting that the theatrical experience may die if a new crop of young stars can't lure audiences. A recent National Research Group survey asked moviegoers to name the actors who could get them to actually go to a movie theater. The top answers all qualify for AARP cards. Tom Cruise, age 60, Dwayne Johnson, age 51, and Tom Hanks, 66. Villanueva says he cast Dune Part Two with the future of cinema in mind. I needed people who have the necessary charisma, he says. I think Florence Zendaya, Timothée Chalamet, and Austin Butler, they will be the new power in Hollywood. These strong, charismatic figures will drag people back to the theater. Poog has charisma to spare. Along with her famous frown, she deploys her infectious smile at opportune moments, often on the tiny screens where our social feeds scroll. She glowed in royal purple, Valentino, a knowing grin on her face, an Aperol spritz in her hand as she strutted around Venice last fall on the same day the director she was allegedly feuding with, Olivia Wilde, had to explain why Pugue was absent from Don't Worry Darling press conference. She gleefully called out trolls who scolded her conference for wearing a transparent dress that showed off her nipples. She beamed when she debuted a new buzz cut at the Met Gala in May. Her smile betrays a confidence near impossible to achieve at age 27. She's honed her control of her emotions into an art for delicate scenes. Despite her youth, she has a drive and assurance, says Villanueva. You feel you're working with someone who can absolutely go anywhere and do anything emotionally in the most subtle and precise way. She is a raw diamond. Pug and I met at Locanda Verde, an Italian restaurant in Tribeca. 
The green juice she ordered keeps separating, and she mindlessly stirs the concoction back together before each sip. Pug ate here with her parents the night before and requested a table in the corner. The waiter solemnly informed her that that spot was reserved for Robert De Niro, a co-owner. She kept an eager eye out for the megastar all night. People speak of legends like De Niro in hushed tones. But Pugh argues we need to let go of the concept of the enigmatic movie star. With rare exceptions, like Beyoncé, public figures today simply cannot maintain an era of mystery. Luckily, Pugh is particularly adept at social media. She started her career posting videos to YouTube, singing and playing guitar in her childhood bedroom in Oxford. Success has changed little about her approach. In the cheeky Cooking with Flow Instagram videos that rose to popularity during quarantine, Poog offered tips gleaned from her restaurateur father. She is designing her kitchen in her new London home with more cooking videos and even a possible TV series in mind. Conversations are happening, she says, of a cooking show. If I were to make something, I wouldn't want it to be polished or clean or fussy. Her entire image is messy by design. She posts as many photos of sprouting zits as she does of red carpets. Followers might assume this is a bid for relatability, but she's trying to maintain control of her image in a tabloid landscape that glorifies actors' movie premiere glamour one day and mocks their bad hair day the next. I would never show one side of me because that's setting myself up to fail, she says. I don't want anyone to make money catching me out being me. I want to give them all of me. Poog early learned the value of defining your own public persona. After her film debut in the 2014 drama The Falling, she landed a pilot for a show that never went forward, a blessing considering producers asked her to change her body. She refused, and decided she would not return to Hollywood until she had a better grasp of what she wanted to represent. After a breakfast a breakout role as the dastardly protagonist in the British period drama Lady Macbeth, she was drawn back to Los Angeles to play opposite Dwayne Johnson in the WWE film Fighting With My Family. The person I came back to was a female wrestler with muscles and big thighs who made her own name as a champion, she said. I quite liked that because the last time I'd been there I was told I needed to lose weight. It was not so in the person I wanted to be. Puga's worked with lauded directors like Park Chan-wook, the little drummer girl, Greta Gerwig, Little Women, and Ari Aster, Midsommar, portraying strong-willed women who fight against society's expectations. Even if they're not defined on the page, I always find some way to make them quite confrontational, she says of her characters. I never see the bad in them, even when they have killed children and burned boyfriends. I've always understood them at people who needed to do what they had to do to survive. Plug knows when to fight. She also intuits when to stay mum. Rumors swirled in 2022 about drama on the set of Don't Worry Darling, 
the film directed by Wilde, particularly regarding how Wilde's then-rumored relationship with Hoog's co-star Harry Styles and casting decisions were causing tensions. Poog seemed to float above the controversy. Buried in the tepid reviews of the film were raves for Poog's empathetic take on a woman trapped in a 50s male tramp fantasy. Despite the fervent gossip, or because of it, Don't Worry Darling made almost $90 million at the box office. A real feat for an adult drama. Poog is building a career on films that run the gamut from scrappy ending shoots to mega blockbuster productions. No matter the scope, after nearly a decade in the business, Poog can sense whether a film will succeed based on vibes alone. Has she ever thought, while on set, that a movie was simply falling apart? Definitely, she says. A whole film set, it's everybody making a huge effort because they want to be there. And if someone doesn't want to be there, or if someone isn't pulling their weight, you can feel it. The film feels wrong. I start to press for specifics, and she, exceedingly polite, moves on to a related topic. Recent experiences on gigantic products with Nolan and Villanueva set a high bar. He has the utmost respect for every single person working on that set, she says of Nolan. And she calls Villanueva a bizarre, mad, creative genius for his ability to render the fantastical world of Dune on screen. Villanueva, in return, describes Pew as a rambunctious kid. She's mischievous. Poog confirms that she and Chalamet, who starred in Little Women together, had to be separated in the Dune trailer because they were having too much fun. But don't let her playfulness deceive you, Villanueva warns. Once the cameras roll, she has firepower. Her peers and fans agree. She's earned nods from the Oscars, BAFTAs, and the Cannes Film Festival, and effusive support from 9.1 million Instagram followers. Actors who enter the superhuman industrial complex can end up trapped in an endless series of interconnected films and shows. After her debut as Black Widow's sister, Yelena, in 2021's Black Widow, Pug made a cameo in the Disney Plus show Hawkeye and is scheduled to begin shooting in a Marvel ensemble movie, Thunderbolts, with Harrison Ford this summer. But in between, she managed to earn a slew of nominations for her small Netflix film titled The Wonder. So many people in the indie film world were really pissed off at me, she said. They were like, great, now she's gone forever. And I've always say, no, I'm working as hard as I used to work. I've always done back-to-back movies. It's just people are watching them now. You just have to be a bit more organized with your schedule. Her future will, she hopes, involve time on the stage. She wrote and performed music in A Good Person and wants to sing again. She's working on a love story produced by A24 opposite Andrew Garfield called We Live in Time. She is open to a rom-com, and if anyone can help bring back a genre on life support, it's an actor disproving the thesis that movie stars are a dying brand. 
We finish our breakfast, leaving behind the half-drunk glass of green juice. Pooh gets to a photo shoot where she finds a more appetizing drink, another Aperol Spritz. A couple hours later, her parents, grandmother, and Braff Pop buy for a visit. And Poog beckons her gran, who has recently joined her on several red carpets, to sit beside her. The actor plucks two straws from a cups and sticks them in the spritz so the duo can sip it together. Poog laughs and applauds as her grandmother dramatically curtsies for the crew. All smiles, no tears. All right, the next article from the United States. Rose Traore, Blending Two Cultures by Solsiri Berga. Like many American children of immigrants, Chef Rose Traore navigates two worlds. You can see it in the way he switches between saying Côte d'Ivoire and Ivory Coast when he discusses his new boutique hotel and restaurant, La Fourchette de Rose, located in the West African country, and in our conversation about the difficulties of opening his restaurant abroad. Just because I'm from Ivory Coast, or my parents are, doesn't mean that it's not a culture shock for me, Triatora 32 says. There were certain ingredients that I thought would I would have the luxury of having any day, any time, when I create a menu in the States. That process proved more difficult in Ivory Coast. But with new ingredients came new opportunities to innovate. Treore opened La Fourchette de Rolls in January with the mission of bringing something new to his parents' native culinary culture. My approach was never to come in and just take away African food. That's something that they do perfectly, Treore says. But given my background, I wanted to add and introduce them to a different approach, which is how far I could take these ingredients and merge them together. Traore, who is also a model, stumbled into his cooking career as a teen who was seeking a form of connection. Food is always going to be there to heal us. Food is always going to be there to bring us together, he says. He studied at Le Cordon Bleu in Portland, Oregon, and rocketed to early fame working at 11 Madison Park in New York City and cooking for the 2022 Guggenheim International Gala. When he decided to open his own restaurant, he knew it would be in Grand Bassam, the beach town outside Abidjan where his grandparents had taken him on vacations when he was a child. The popular tourist destination was impacted by a 2016 terrorist attack which left the community reeling and led to a decline in visitors. But since then, the arts and culture scene has helped the town flourish. The buzz from La Fouchette de Rose's opening is also boosting tourist interest. I wanted to pick a place that was special and meaningful, so when I did open, it had a true identity of who I was, Traore says. These are my roots. This is where my family came from. All right, the next article is from Australia. Melanie Perkins, Visualizing a World of Good in Tech by Simone Shaw. Melanie Perkins, co-founder and CEO of the online graphic design tool Canva, has a two-pronged plan for success. First, build one of the world's most valuable companies. Next, do as much good in the world as possible. The two goals fuel each other, Perkins, age 36, tells Time magazine. 
The philosophy might seem like an odd North Star for a company offering templates for presentations and save-the-date cards, but it's just one way Perkins is reimagining the modern tech company. Headquartered in Sydney, thousands of miles away from Silicon Valley, with its reputation as a global arbiter of innovation, Perkins has built a design platform that easily rivals those offered by giants like Adobe and Microsoft, all while keeping accessibility at the heart of its mission. After launching in 2013, Canva has grown to offer services in over 100 languages with on 125 million users in 190 countries. The company operates on a freemium subscription model that includes basic features at no cost with the option to pay for upgrades. They also provide free subscriptions to educational organizations and nonprofits. The company counts 85% of Fortune 500 companies among its users, but Perkins believes the most salient examples of the company's impact are in how it's changed everyday lives. From refugees using the platform to design resumes as they job hunt in a new country, to a woman creating a flyer that helped her track down her birth mother. In 2018, the year Canva joined the ranks of unicorn startups valued at over $1 billion, just 9% of those new companies had at least one female founder. Recent numbers are likewise dismal. In 2021, that number was only 14%. Perkins has been comfortable going against the grain. There's always been forks in the road where we could do what every other company is doing or just do what feels natural. Every time we do what feels natural, it always ends up being the thing that we build on. All right, the next one is from Argentina. And it's titled Bizarrap, Elusive Hitmaker by Moises Mendez II. Bizarrap cultivates an air of mystery. So much so that when he first started gaining popularity, people questioned whether he was a real person. The Argentinian producer and DJ can usually be spotted in the background of his videos. Back to the camera, shades obscuring his eyes, giving the floor, or miraculously, the mic, to the artists he invites on the mega-popular YouTube music video series he started four years ago. What I like most is that people get to know my music, he says. His numbers are impressive. 7.2 billion views on YouTube. 41.8 million monthly listeners on Spotify. Several of his videos and songs have hundreds of millions of views and streams. And Bizarrap, real name Gonzalo Julian Conde, has done it all without releasing an album. His meteoric but unconventional rise signals a shift in the industry, proving that newcomers don't have to follow a certain path in order to find their audience. On his channel, the 24-year-old producer and his guests record a simple music video for a jointly composed original song, often featuring his signature electro-pop sheen. They have gone viral not just for his beats, as with the EDM-infused rap banger with the Puerto Rican rapper Vileno Antellano, but also for their content. 
His collaboration with Residente gave rise to a short-lived feud between the Puerto Rican rapper and J Balvin. Most notably, his January track with Shakira, in which she addressed cheating rumors about her husband for the first time, exploded in popularity, breaking several Guinness World Records. Suddenly, it became much more difficult for Bizarrap to fade into the background. Still, the artist has continued to seed the limelight. I make music every day, he says. I like thinking about ideas for my videos, making teasers. I'm always thinking about the next step. He leaves cues and clues on social media as to what those steps might be and who he might collaborate with. Although he's worked with some of the biggest names in the Latin music scene, there are still several on his wish list. At the end of the day, it's all about the songs. What's important to me is that the music speaks for itself. All right, this next one is from the United States. Drew Afualo, TikTok's Crusader for Women, also by Moises Mendez II. As long as men are terrible online, Drew Afualo will have her work. It's like the most aggressive form of job security, she tells Time magazine. I'll never run out of content. The 27-year-old creator has amassed 8 million followers on TikTok by giving misogynistic men a taste of their own medicine. The way it usually works. Guy with an alpha male demeanor uploads a video degrading women. Afualo's followers alert her to its presence, and she posts a video in response. Her clapback usually puts their own tactics to work against them. If they can make hurtful comments about women's appearances, her philosophy goes, she can silence them by showing them how it feels. Ask any firefighters. You fight fire with fire, she says. They burn everything in front of it so the fire has nowhere to go. The Internet has never been a safe place for women. According to the Pew Research Center, 33% of women under 35 say they have been sexually harassed online. While some might find Afualo's tactics less than diplomatic, her cleverly constructed roasts have helped deflate the egos of many a misogynistic troll. And you have to be a gifted comedian in concept and delivery to come up with the comebacks that she does. Afalo asks that those who find her content off-putting interrogate their own internalized misogyny and, for many women, a tendency to seek validation from men. It's so common for men to be terrible online and suffer no consequence because it's easy to be anonymous, she says. I like to think of myself as a tangible consequence. Consuming such a large amount of rancid material, as she puts it, could take a toll on one me mental health. But Afualo sees the fruits of her labor in the comments section, both literally and in her Spotify exclusive podcast aptly named the comments section with True Afualo, where she interviews guests like Kim Petras and Bob the Drag Queen, and in messages from supporters. 
They tell her she's given them the strength to confront the men who treat them poorly or to break up with abusive partners. It does get very heavy to deal with all the hate I receive, which is a lot, Afualo says. But knowing she has inspired her followers to stand up for themselves, she says, helps me remind why I do what I do. All right, the next one is from Hong Kong. Henry Edward C., A Trailblazer for Transgender Rights in Asia, by Chad de Guzman. Since returning to Hong Kong in 2017, transgender activist Henry Edward C. says he feels like he's been running a marathon, <coughs> except the government keeps moving the finish line. C., age 32, scored a historic legal victory in February when the city's top court ruled against requiring transgender people to undergo full gender-affirming surgery to change their legal gender markers. For many transgender people, surgery can be costly and dangerous, and LGBTQ advocates hope the reeling could pave the way for other nations in largely conservative Asia struggling to implement more inclusive policies. C says the continent is the epicenter of change for the global trans movement. But months later, a small F still sits where an M should be on TSE's ID. I'm essentially blocked from participating in public life, he tells Time magazine. Whenever I use gender-segregated spaces, it's the same story again. C and other advocates continue to protest the stalled implementation by the city's legislative and executive branches of their judicial victory. In a cosmopolitan former British colony, that in recent years has quelled many forms of dissent in pursuit of mainland China's national security, C knows he fights an uphill battle. A patriots-only congressional body has meant LGBTQ rights in the Chinese enclave tend to fall short of basic international considerations and typically tow Beijing's less inclusive policy line. And despite wider public acceptance of sexual minorities, some population segments remain unsupportive, including Tsi's own parents. It would be understandable for Tsi to want to leave Hong Kong, given his homeland's hurdles. But with a law education under his belt and advice from allies in more democratized Japan and Taiwan, Tsi has taken a deliberate calculated approach to transforming transgender rights in Hong Kong through judicial reviews, living his belief that law is the vehicle to protect human rights. With the court ruling yet to be implemented, C views his judicial victory as merely staged, and he says he'd rather stay in the city to continue the fight. If I don't do it, I don't see how anyone could, C says. It's a very demanding job. And the next one is from Brazil. Renee Silva, Empowerment Through Local Journalism by Clara Nugent. The story of the start of Voz das Comunidades, a community newspaper governing the majority black working class neighborhoods that surround Rio de Janeiro, reads like the plot of a children's movie. 
In 2005, 11-year-old René Silva persuaded teachers at his school in the Complexo de Almeno district to let him join the student newspaper, despite protests from older kids who thought he was too young. Within months, he outgrew that gig, recruiting four other children to help him launch his own newspaper covering the entire favela, as Brazil's informal neighborhoods are known. I used to look through papers and I didn't see the favela I knew represented, he said. The media only ever talked about drug trafficking, violence, and death, so people from outside thought that's all that's here. Eighteen years later, Vos das Comunidades continues to chip away at those stereotypes. Now, formally recognized as an NGO, it has 35 staff members who cover stories on culture, politics, sports, education, and problems of state neglect. Silva, a prominent activist, has the ear of journalists and top editors at many of Brazil's largest media outlets and says he reaches out to them if their coverage of favelas is biased or limited. Major newspapers and broadcasters regularly poach Silva's staff, bringing the perspective of favela residents, a group poorly represented in a country where 77% of journalists are white, to mainstream audiences. Silva still gets the impression that many journalists writing on such problems have never stepped foot in a favela. But he says he's optimistic about the journey he started nearly two decades ago. He has a lot of hope that current President Luiz Ignacio Lula da Silva, no relation, will come through on campaign promises to improve lives for favela restaurants. I mean residents. Now working primarily on fundraising in the long-term direction of Vos das Comunidades, Silva says he aims to continually expand the organization. That includes a planned program for his staff to run workshops in public schools around the country, in person and remotely, to inspire kids like him to start their own projects. My mission is to make sure that favelas have a bigger and bigger voice. All right, this is titled Sage Lanier, Centering Solutions in the Climate Fight by Kyla Mandel. For climate activist Sage Lanier, age 24, education is a tool for empowerment. Too often, she says, higher education focuses solely on the problems instead of exploring solutions to the world's many pressing environmental challenges. The result can leave students feeling overwhelmed and depressed. So, in 2018, as a 19-year-old student at the University of California in Berkeley, Lenier designed the Solutions for Sustainable and Just Future course. Since then, it has enrolled over 1,800 students, 600 of whom Lenier taught herself. We are advocating for a better climate education that really prepares us for what a climate change future is going to look like, she says. More than just rethinking how we learn about environmental problems, it's a bigger system-wide perspective that drives Lanier's work. The goal, she says, is to inspire young people and equip them with the tools necessary to figure out how they can best take action right now. I'm not going to sit around and wait for sweeping national legislation. So, 
What can you do at the city, state, or country level to push the needle, she asks. Building on the program's success at Berkeley, in the spring of 21, a one-time virtual version of the course was made available online in partnership with the nonprofit Zero Waste USA. And in January, Lenier, who recently completed a fellowship with the Op-Ed Project and the Yale Program on Climate Change Communication, helped launch the Sustainable and Just Future nonprofit with the aim of bringing the solutions course to other universities around the world. You shouldn't be able to get a high school diploma or college degree without having a basic understanding of the ecological systems that keep you alive, said Lanier. Seeing the tangible impacts of the course was transformative for me, she says. According to surveys by her nonprofit, 71% of students have said they are, or plan to be, involved in an environmental organization or initiative, thanks to her course. People would come out of the program and say, I'm a different person. I've decided to do X, Y, Z with my life. I've decided to start this community initiative, she says. Being able to hold space for that change, that's the most important thing I need to do. And the next one is from South Korea. New Jeans, K-Pop's Next Act by Chaz de Guzman. Hyun had just turned 15, but her birthday wish is unusually purposeful for a teenager. I want to show more of my skills and different sides of me that I haven't shown yet, she says. This youthful drive to keep growing is a common denominator among Hyun and her New Jeans bandmates, Minji, Hiran, Hani, and Danielle, who are all under the age of 20. A year ago, no one knew who New Jeans was. But since it dropped its first music video in August of 2022, the nascent K-pop girl group, managed by the record label Adore, a subsidiary of the South Korean entertainment behemoth HYBE, which launched boy band BTS to international acclaim, has already reached global milestones even faster than its more senior counterparts in the industry. Two of New Jeans' singles stayed on the Billboard 100 for five weeks this year, and in March, the band became the fastest Korean act ever to hit 1 billion streams on Spotify in 219 days, despite having released only a handful of songs. This August, New Jeans will become the first K-pop girl group to perform at Lollapalooza. New Jeans' popularity isn't exactly surprising. Adore CEO Min Hee Jin was once responsible for the branding of many enduring names in the K-pop world, like Shinny, EXO, and Girls' Generation. Now helming her own label, Min has spoken of breaking established industry expectations, which resonated with New Jeans members. The band's name is actually a wordplay on New Jeans, G-E-N-E-S, as in the next generation of K-pop and the timeless style of denim. We're always trying to create a fresh vibe, says Danielle of New Jeans, distinctive style. Clear Y2K influences appear in their fashion and their songs, produced by musicians known for their experimental, more underground discography. 
This is new, but it's also bringing back all these memories from the past. As cutthroat as the K-pop industry is said to be, the members of New Jeans are happy to take things in stride. They're focused on enjoying the process and just making music that they want to hear. K-pop is such a big thing, Hanny says. I don't know if you could even really predict what's going to be in the future. And we will finish. Our last article was from the United Kingdom, titled Matt's Fitzpatrick, an Exemplary Athlete by Sean Gregory. Matt Fitzpatrick, the emergent golfer who will defend the 2022 U.S. Open title at the Los Angeles Country Club mid-June, leaned on a great mental trick at his year's Masters. Fitzpatrick, age 28, hadn't fared well at Augusta in previous starts. Since 2016, he's finished on average in 27th place. So, he recalibrated his expectations. Anything better than that, I've got to take the positives from it, he says. I felt like that kept me grounded throughout the week. Fitzpatrick finished tied for 10th, his best in seven years. A week later, he won the PGA event in Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. Following his early spring role, Fitzpatrick rose to sixth place in the world golf rankings, tops for his career. As golf seeks out players to carry the sport into the post-Tiger Woods era, Fitzpatrick is making his play. He's taken an intensely analytical approach to improving his game. Incorporating sports science, Fitzpatrick closely monitors his sleep. Video breakdowns of his swing and other stats to gain an edge. We've done a lot of work with that, says Fitzpatrick, just to find those small 1% gains. I'm always pushing to be better. Fitzpatrick grew up in Sheffield, England spending summers on putting greens instead of at parties with his friends. As a rail-thin 18-year-old, he became the first English player in 102 years to win the U.S. Amateur Championship. Fitzpatrick turned professional in 2014 after playing a handful of tournaments for Northwestern University. He's kept close ties to home acting as a fundraising ambassador for the Sheffield Children's Hospital and donating $80,000 to help pay for a new CT scanner there. He's also donated to UC UK charities that research neurological disorders and offer countryside holidays for patients suffering from Parkinson's, MS, and other conditions. I do think it's important to give back, Fitzpatrick says. If Fitzpatrick triumphs in Los Angeles, he will join Curtis Strange and Brooks Kepka as the only men's golfers to win back-to-back U.S. Opens since 1989. Playing conditions, as usual at the U.S. Open, are certain to be difficult. I don't feel like any holes give you a breather, he says. The fairways are tight, the greens are firm, and the roughs are high. It's mentally fatiguing as well as physically. Not to worry. Fitzpatrick proved to be good at staying grounded and being a force reckoned with in golf. 
And that concludes articles from the June 12, 2023 issue of Time magazine. And to finish, I must remind you that you've been listening to a recording provided for the use of the blind and print impaired. Materials or items read on Arizalea are the copyright property of the original authors and publishers, and no unauthorized use or duplication is permitted. Again, my name is Nancy Porter, and it has been my pleasure to share Time Magazine with you.